Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here we are. It's kind of early morning today, Linda. We're doing an early recording. Um, but it is gorgeous here, wherever we are in Park City, Utah right now. All the leaves, oh my goodness, absolutely foliage. fabulous. You thought New England was great. This is the place. It is just amazing. Even with my colorblind eyes. Oh goodness, this poor guy is colorblind. I'm like, look at all those reds. Look at all that. He said, I can't hear it. I can't see it. Where, can't... where, where's where the is it? Where is it? But boy, do I see the yellows and the oranges and the golds. Well, that's good news, but I'm so sorry. You can't see the reds. I bought you some sun, some <laughs> colorblind glasses once at a huge price. <laughs> and I paid, thought you'd be able to see them. dollars or something yeah. these colorblind glasses. And all I did is they made it brighter, <laughs> made it all the things I could see just made it so bright, but the things I couldn't see, you still couldn't see color blindness. Anyway, what a, what a plague, but we're, but it is interesting, Linda, I was saying it's early today. Do you, do you think of yourself as a morning person? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but are you an owl or a lark? I'm definitely an owl. Um, we have a hard time going to bed before midnight, a really hard time, but we should talk about that. We should do a whole show on bedtimes. <laughs> no, we should not. But it really is. Um, you get a lot done after 10 o'clock doing 10 and 12. I can do so much. That's, that's our most productive time. We shouldn't admit this, but I, we, we, I think we're productive in the morning too, except that we're still asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I dreamed about dogs last night. But anyway. So what do you do if your most productive time is in the early morning and late at night? Do you, do you become a lark or an owl? I guess you have to be both. Then. Yeah, I think you have to take a nap. You have to get up early and work and stay up late and work and take a nap in the middle of the day. Yeah, I can't take a nap, as you know. <laughs> but um, you can drop off with a dime on a dime. Well, we, you know, every once in a while, we like to do an Iris on the road, just about what we're doing lately, and then sort of spin it into something maybe we should be learning from what's happening. And maybe you can piggyback on that. But we've been really immersed lately in sports and music. Now, let me let's take that from a couple of angles. Um, Linda plays in a string quartet. And boy, is that wonderful fun i mean i love it i love going there's usually an audience of two one couple plays one, one plays violin one plays viola and then linda plays violin and then we have a cellist so the only audience for these string quartets is me the wife the husband of linda and carol the wife of the cellist because the other two are playing so it's four <laughs> people playing and two in the, two audience. In the audience and it's just so wonderful. Linda loves it so much. It is so fun. And interestingly, they're fabulous people. We've been doing this since we were graduate students in, in Boston. Uh, you were at the business school and those two were medical school. And Kathy and I were teaching music together in Burlington Junior High and in the Burlington District. 
And she got me that job. <laughs> and it's interesting how some friendships just last and last. It's so delightful when you've got a friend from, and then, and then there's the friends from your childhood, but this is from our early marriage. And, and as you know, if you're listening and are married, those, those precious friendships, when you first get married, are so awesome. Oh, did that bring back a memory when I went with you to your was it a choir class that, that you taught it? Oh, when I taught at Burlington Junior High, and it was so interesting because they gave the eighth grade boys, I had an eighth grade choir, and they gave the eighth grade <laughs> boys a choice of choir or Russian. And you can guess how many came to choir, a lot of them. And a lot of, a lot of them were pretty rough hewn and it was crazy. But on the outskirts, outskirts of Boston. And, and one day I didn't have classes and I came out to join your class. And I told them that I was, I was a talent scout from, what was it? Art Linkletter. Oh, from, there was a TV <laughs> For show. For those of you who were. <laughs> old they're listening you can remember well, we were trying to get linda was trying to get him to behave and i i said well i'm a, i'm actually here from the from a tv show and i want to audition you to see if you should be on tv which was a terrible fabrication <laughs> but was they sang better that oh, day my than goodness, ever before so beautifully <laughs> it was awesome but anyway linda's music goes back so far and runs so deep and she now teaches the grandkids so many things about music it's just part of who you are it's what you majored in in school you're a brilliant performer if you hadn't met me you'd no. probably be world famous no i am not a brilliant performer yes, you no are. no way anyway. um, it terrifies me now but uh it has been a good gig because it's so music is so wonderful and actually now you listen to music more than i do well that, that's what i was going to say is you have well, remember when we got married, the deal was you would teach me to play the cello and I would teach you to play tennis so we could be a doubles team. And we both failed, but I've become an, just, I, I'm insatiable for classical music. I can't get enough. And you have become the world's greatest tennis fan. So it didn't turn out quite like we liked, but it turned out pretty good. And speaking of performances, our young friend, Aubrey Oliverson, who we tried to help a little bit, although some friends of ours helped her a lot when she was just a child, an 11-year-old prodigy. And we went to see her play with the Utah Symphony the other day, and she was brilliant. Two standing ovations and a uh, an encore that was just oh. unbelievable. She is, oh my goodness, she played Barbara, who I love anyway, but it was unbelievable and then much to your chagrin she played at a private performance we're talking about aubrey oliverson remember that name a violinist of unbelievable talent. prodigious yeah. talent that you had to go to well you wanted to go <laughs> to your niece's performance in the little mermaid and i got to go to this private <laughs> concert and and Aubrey played Mendelssohn's violin concerto, which just blew me away. And you know, it was harder because thank you very much. You taped a little bit or recorded some of it on your phone. Uh, she played a modern <laughs> piece that was beyond belief, beyond belief that anybody could even read the music, let alone play the music. It was absolutely incredible. So, but I do, but I do have to say the arts is so good for children. And this darling 16-year-old is oh 17 now i guess 
she has had she had uh, cancer, leukemia as a little five year old. Oh, now you're talking about you. she's talking about her niece. Now, the niece not that's about performing. Aubrey. No, yeah, and they're both equally amazing both in what amazing. they did because she Children with artistic talent. She had um, leukemia at five, and they got her through. And eight thought she was uh, okay. She was through it, and then no, came back. And then she had a complete bone marrow transplant, which nobody knows how horrendous that is. This is Cammie Carver, Linda's little niece. Oh, my goodness. They found a perfect match for her out of a million people. And for a year, you can't even correspond with these people who are so brave and give their bone marrow. And then after a year, of course, they invited him here and it was big on TV because that, I mean, that no one will ever know what these children and these adults go through when you have cancer. Well, and what they go through to become incredible musicians and, and shifting to the sports side of things. The, the name of this show, by the way, in case you're wondering where in the world we're going is sports, music, and jobs. And we're going to be applying it to our children. And as a, kind of a, thought process and what many of us go through in parenting when we have talented children or children who we think are talented or should be talented but the other side of it is is the sports and that's on our mind because we're leaving in a couple of days to go down to southern utah where which is the the venue or the site of the world senior games which has played a part in our lives for how long, honey? Well, you just got an award well, for 30 years. 30 years, 25 years. And we go there in the fall, getting back to where we started, how beautiful the fall is this year. And the fall extends longer down in the Red Rock country of Southern Utah. And we'll be there and I'll be defending my tennis title. Actually, my tennis title uh, is a year old now because we missed a year. <laughs> but, um, you know, sports there's another thing that can be so time consuming but so gratifying and and particularly tennis in our case and we as you know if you're a regular listener we were in Wimbledon got to go to Wimbledon this year and to the U.S. Open and Linda is just a great tennis fan and it's a great game and we play a lot in our family we play it at family reunions on and on and on so I'm just sort of setting the stage, Linda, that music and sports can be fabulous. They can be remarkable, but they can also take over your life. And yes, they, they do. Can. And they do. I'm in sure it families. did with Aubrey. And uh, Cammy is now obsessed. She was in a movie and now she's kind of obsessed with her acting career. And she is the cutest little button you've ever seen. But it is, does take a lot of time. And a lot of effort, which anything that you, you, you're passionate about takes a lot of time. And so here's a little shift of gears, and you'll see how we're trying to put these things together. Often when we're speaking to audience of parents, particularly when we're speaking on one of our, the thing we get requested to speak on probably more than anything else to corporate groups or entrepreneur groups or whatever, a subject uh, talk that we call raising responsible kids in an affluent environment. 
because a lot of these groups that we go to are people that have money and who are trying to figure out how to parent in an affluent environment where there's a grave danger of entitlement and and what we used to call spoiling our kids and sometimes just for the fun of it we open up the the meeting by and it's really fun to do this we did it just the other day when we were in uh, speaking in tampa florida and also when we were speaking in bloomington illinois we just say how many of you talking only to the adults the kids aren't there and the average adult age is probably in their 40s and we say how many of you had jobs outside your home when you were growing up every hand goes up and we say what were some of those jobs and boy they just start yelling them out i was a paper boy well i babysat well i worked in a store i cleaned up sold well, I, pizza, I sold pizza i delivered this i did that and it's kind of an energized environment because they, they you can see they enjoy remembering these things and we say what did you learn from that and again I learned to show up. I learned to handle money. I learned to be responsible. I learned to speak to people. I learned to give customer service. I learned how to manage my time. I mean, all these things come up that they learn from these jobs. And then we say, how many of your children have that kind of jobs today? Now we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to tell you what how many hands go up on that second question, and we're going to tie it back into this question of music and sports and other extracurriculars. So I think you can kind of see where we're going. So stay with us, and we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. Um, that was an especially, if, if you were in on the first part of this, which you obviously were, you're listening to a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, you know, we're talking about um, kids and entitlement and sports and music and, and other issues that really help and also hinder in some ways. Um, we always get the most interesting questions. We have a question answer period. And uh, I'll mention that later if it applies, but uh, it really is interesting what, if you're not out doing jobs, which we talked about just before we left, it is so important that they're doing something of value, which often is sports and music and, and studying, um, education. Um, they spend so much more time than, although we both spent, well, I spent a lot of time on my education. I don't know if you did in high school, but, um, <laughs> I, I killed myself cause I had a fabulous English teacher, but it really is interesting that what this does to kids. Well, so getting back to our little case study. So when we're in these, these speeches and have these audiences and they're all just, had a great time talking about their jobs as they grew up. And these, again, are people in their, maybe their mid-40s, roughly, would be the epicenter of the age. Some 50s. Some, yeah. some a little older. And, and then we ask the question, now, how many of your children have those kind of jobs outside the home? Hardly a hand. In one of these two meetings we spoke in on this last trip, no hands went up. 
and in one a couple of hands went up and and they said well they work for me and my company yeah <laughs> and so then we say then we ask the telling question is that a problem because you've just told us that you what you learned from your these parents what you learned from your jobs working outside the home and mowing lawns or babysitting or cleaning up stores or selling pizza or whatever it was you learned these incredible lessons about responsibility and showing up and managing money and all the rest where are your children going to learn those same lessons but but even before that we sort of feel this wave in the audience of excuses well mikey what, my, those kind of jobs don't exist anymore people don't have paper routes well you know, my kids are too busy. They're spending all their time this and that. Well, and the it's world a different world. It's a different place when kids don't have time to do that now because they are so involved in sports and music and their own education. And so that's the question we try to pose to parents. And we're posing it to you today, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, do you feel like your children are learning the lessons they need to know about economics and responsibility and stepping up and so on if they don't have those kind of part-time jobs outside the home if they do bless your heart you're doing well and you're kind of rare in today's world where a lot of those jobs don't exist and where the extracurricular and the extra effort on academics just takes up all the time and is it a good thing or a bad thing, Linda? Do you think that, I mean, you know, we've just talked about our passion for sports and music. And when you put the two together, think of the time consumption going to the lessons kids have, the sports they're involved in. It became so obsessive once in our family. What did we calculate? Remember, I think they had 23 lessons 23 every week. 23 lessons every week. I mean, everything from ballet to soccer to violin to harp to flute. I mean, it was just uh, ongoing all, all the time. All the teams, they were on all the sports teams that they could possibly be on. Some of them. Yeah. Some of them still wanted more. Some of them were on the computer. And then that interesting yeah. day came when you, when we had to, <laughs> you better tell that story. <laughs> oh, wow. We had five kids in soccer at one point. And honestly, I finally, at the end of a long, hairy day, trying to get everybody where they were supposed to be, I sat them down on the top step of our staircase. And I said, you guys, I have an announcement for you. We are not going to do soccer in the spring. We are not eating together. We're not talking together. I'm sorry, but we're just not doing it. And so we're what, dropping out of soccer. <laughs> so one little guy raises him and says, oh, good, because we don't like soccer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm killing myself and you don't even like this. And sometimes I think we are oblivious as parents. We just have our idea of how we want, what we want our kids to do and be and so on. And we just haven't spent enough time talking about what they want. So you got to ask yourself, are all the lessons and all the teams that your kids are on, are they, what is the cost benefit ratio, right? I mean, I'm, we're not suggesting that you drop your kids out of soccer or whatever, but analyze how much they're getting out of it and how much they're giving up and how much you're giving up to have them on that team or in that lesson and so on. And perhaps you'll conclude that, gee, they're right where they need to be and they're wonderful. And a lot of parents overestimate, I mean, being honest, a lot of parents 
overestimate the talent of their own child, but sometimes it works the other way. Sometimes a child just blossoms I know. and you discover natural talent. And so often the question we get from parents is, well, how do I know if my child's musically inclined? How do I know if my son or my daughter is going to be a great athlete? How do I know if I don't try? How, you know, I've got to get them in all these things because the other kids are in them. And if I don't get mine, how will I ever know? I know it's a, it's so hard. I think, you know, when you see your uh, six-year-old out on the soccer field on defense, laying down with his uh, <laughs> legs crossed and looking at the clouds with his hands behind his head. I think you know that that is just not a, a focus for them. But but you do have to try something. And it is hard because sometimes they're multi-talented kids that are really gifted in a lot of things. And, and then how do you narrow that down? Um, we have parents that we met in Hawaii who were tra traveling to a special school for a special sport uh, two hours each way every day. It is was crazy, but you know. And you gotta you gotta admire the parents for saying, Well, I, I need to do all I can to help my child develop their talents. And if I see that there's a gift here or there's a uh, a talent in embryo, it, it's my stewardship as a parent to get them in the best class or get them with a teacher or get them with a coach or put them on this team or put them in this lesson. I've got to do it. And sometimes parents are running themselves ragged. Oh, they are. And, you know, my mother was a musician. She paid me to practice. So I had, and I had to buy my own clothes. I had a little farm up in Montpelier, Idaho. And uh, I just thought that was good. So we did that with our kids. But we did have um, a couple that did well with that and some that just did not do very well. Well, you, tr you kind of initially wanted all the kids to play the violin because you're such a violinist right and piano we had and piano because my mother was a pianist so one of our sons uh didn't like piano very much but he plodded along and he really was kind of gifted i mean he was really good but he just i can't do this anymore i said okay if i let you quit playing piano don't ever come back to me and say why did you let me quit piano so i let him quit and guess what he is passionate about <laughs> piano right. as an adult. And now he just sent me uh, Liebestrom last week and said, I would love to play this. Just listen to this. This is so gorgeous. He never lets out the words, why did you let me quit? Because so, he, he, he promised he wouldn't, right? He, but he, I, I missed it on that. I should have just insisted. Okay, so what do you do? I mean, the, the, the question we've kind of left hanging in the air is, you know... How do you balance this this life for our kids? How do you give them the lessons and the sports and the music and so on that you think they need, but not go overboard? How do you not let it take over your life? And how do you get them to learn the lessons of work and of responsibility and of making their own money that many of you parents and grandparents learned by having jobs outside the home. Well, this is what we try to get to in some of these presentations we make. And we always end up by sending people to our valuesparenting.com website. And if you're interested in, in a family economy, we introduce a thing called 
look, if your kids can't, they're too busy and the circumstances don't allow them to work outside the home as you did growing up, set up something that's not an allowance. Set up something in your home where there really are chores and they really are expected to do them. And when the end of the week is not allowance day, but payday and how much money they get that week is determined by how many of their jobs or their chores they remembered to do. Don't back off on that, parents. Don't think, oh, other kids don't have to do I'll it. I'll just my give kids them everything. Will, my kids will need. feel put upon if they have responsibilities. Kids need responsibility in your home. And there's a there's a place on valuesparenting.com, valuesparenting, run all run together.com. And then there's a there's a things about Joy School and Alexander's Amazing Adventures that some of you are familiar with. But there's also a click right at the top on the menu called other programs. And within that, there's something called a family economy. And in parentheses, avoiding entitlement. Avoid, and that's the danger of raising a child in a family where, oh, yeah, you can be in a million sports and a million music things and all these extracurriculars. And that takes up so much of your time that we'll just give you money. You won't have any responsibility around the home. That can create this really dangerous phenomenon that we call entitlement and so take a look at setting up a family economy where there are jobs kids are paid they are expected to buy a lot of their own stuff rather than you just giving it to them and see if you can fashion if you haven't already and many of you really do this well i'm sure but if you haven't put together a real family economy where kids have responsibility in your home it really, uh, we did do this with our kids. And I do think that our kids are now all really financially responsible in, in their own way. You know, you they meet um, the person they're going to marry. And of course, they adjust to what they've come from and so on. There's always a lot of adjustments that need to make. But I think the the idea of having them earn money in your home, doing separate things, and this is an hour and a half uh uh, explanation. So we're not going to do that now, but you can go to valuesparenting.com and see how we set it up and maybe adjust it to. Well, and how our kids have done it. We're so proud of our, of our children, how they're teaching responsibility to their, to our grandchildren. And they each do it a little different. I mean, it's not like there's some one way, one size fits all. And they, right. they mimic exactly what we did in our family. In fact, I know a lot of you listened to the podcast by our four daughters called In the Arena with the Iyer Sisters. And they're pretty blunt about, well, our parents did it this way. We didn't like certain parts of it. And so we do it this way. But the yeah. point is they're they're doing something. They're, you know, they're not, it, the, entitlement comes when children grow up without responsibility. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility in practicing and performances in practicing athletics and, and doing your very best. And there, there is a lot in that, but actually the financial part is a little bit sticky. I mean, I know your heart goes out to your children because they, they're working hard in school. They are, they are doing all this extracurricular stuff, but 
the buck stops with your kid when it comes to some financial decisions. It really makes a huge difference. I'm so I'm so glad you clarified that, though, Linda. I'm I may have sounded like I'm juxtapositioning jobs and responsibility against music and sports. And you made a great point. The music and sport, a lot, what a lot of parents need to do is talk more to the children about what they're learning from the sports they're in or from the music, the discipline they're learning, the fact that they're able to take the responsibility to practice and get to their lesson and so on. A lot of the same lessons. We're just suggesting you just said it better than I can. Add the financial responsibility part and then you've got the whole package. Yes, and don't leave out education because they are getting a good education if they study hard and work hard. And I'm not saying pay them for studying, but I'm just saying that is a third component that is so important for kids at this yeah. age. So again, you know, we're not giving you some cookie cutter approach and even on values parenting when you read about a family economy. It's just a template. You work it out according to your kids and your situation, their needs, and what you're worried about regarding them accepting responsibility. It's just something to think about. And the whole message of today's podcast episode is think about the question of responsibility and versus responsibility versus entitlement and have a plan, create a plan in your family so one doesn't win out over the other. So we wish you the very best. Wish we could just talk across the table, but this is the best we can do. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on Fires on the Road. Bye till then. Bye.